all of my creepy crime connoisseurs. This is Casket Case, brought to you by the Sisters Three. With me are my two sisters by blood and magic, Chelsea, our oldest and most bougie, Onyx, the youngest and most likely to commit a murder, and I am your storyteller today, the one with all of the brains and equal humor, Hannah. Hi guys! Hello. What is Hello. Welcome. Yes, welcome all. Um, this is our very <clears throat> recording of Casket Case, and I have a really good case for you guys tonight. Are you excited? Mm -hmm. Me too. I actually so, am. I am too. I'm excited. Um, this this case comes from Little Rock, Arkansas, which isn't that far for us. And we're fairly familiar with the area. Yeah, um, we've lived there for a while uh, yeah. before. There was a time. I lived in, in the, that general area. <laughs> some central Arkansas area. Mm -hmm. For more time than I would like to admit. Welcome, Welcome to Casket Case. We're excited to get started. We're excited to, to be here with you guys. Um, so the case that I'm presenting tonight is the Little Rock Realtor murder. <gasps> yes. Yeah. I think I know exactly what case this is, actually. I actually remember exactly where I was when this case broke. Uh, me too. Were you there? Mm. This was in 2014, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Chelsea was actually there, so. Yep. And yeah, yeah, I was in 2014. Yeah. Well, I, I was, yeah, I wasn't in Little Rock, um, but I, I was about an hour away when it happened. Yeah, so that's the case we're doing tonight. Um, so if you guys remember anything or you have anything to add, please feel free, jump in, um, commentate. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. Okay, so let's just, let's jump right into it. Um, Beverly Carter was born in December 1963. Um, in September of 2014, she was 50 years old. At this point, um, she was a wife of 35 years, mother of three, and a grandmother. Um, she was the she she was a high end realtor um, for Cry Like Realtor in Little Rock. It was, I think it was um, based in Little Rock. It was based in Little Rock, I believe, but they had many yes, locations. They, they had they are, quite a few offices all over the state. Yeah. Um, between her realtor company and my ex-husband's family, um, he had he had somebody in his family that was a realtor as well. Uh, she worked for Caldwell Banker. Uh, so between those two companies, um, they were all over the state of Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, she worked for a, a well-known local realtor. Um, right. he was the top high-end realtor, um, selling over $12 million in real estate in 2013. Which is so crazy to me. Could you imagine what you would do with $12 million? She like, didn't sell. She, right. That wasn't her income that year. That was just right. her but she how much she sold in, 
in, in real reality, whether it real was just estate. land, yeah, real estate, whether it was just land or, or houses or whatever, she brought the company $12 million to their body. Right. But she gets commission. Crazy. Right. Because she still gets commission on those sales. Mm-hmm. Which is still a lot of, still yes. a lot of money. And yeah. we will get into that. So I don't have a lot of information on who she was uh, prior to, like, her childhood. Um, Right. I have next to no information on the assailants, Um, unfortunately. I, I dug, I did get a little bit, and again, we'll get into all of this, um, but not nearly as much as I wanted. Right. Um, so, <laughs> unfortunately, our story starts on September twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen. That was a Thursday. Um, right after my birthday. Yes, which I think is like crazy mm-hmm. that a lot of these cases we're gonna find like weird correlations to all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Detective Jeffrey Allison receives a call a little after midnight, saying that there's a missing woman. Um, He responds to the call, and when he arrives on the scene, that's when he learns that Beverly Carter had been reported missing by um, Carl Carter Sr. He told Detective Allison um, that he hadn't heard from his wife since about 4.35 o'clock that afternoon, um, that Beverly had told him that she was going to show one more house in Scott, Arkansas, um, and that she would be home after in time for dinner. Um, he explained to the detective that anytime she goes to show a house, she will notify him before she goes and right. give him an address. Like, kind of like what we do when we're traveling. Well, yeah. And we get on a plane, we tell dad our flight itinerary. Or right. if we're right. traveling on the road, he needs to know what route we're taking and stuff like that. So it was just a safety measure, a precaution Caution. that she always took. She was diligent about letting her husband know where she was going to be. Right. So when she didn't show up for dinner, he started getting worried. He went out to the address that she sent him to check on her um, because he called her. He he tried to call her. He tried to text her, but it just went unanswered. And that's what made him nervous. So he just went ahead and headed out to the address and stopped. When he pulls up to the house, he sees that her car is still there. It's, it's on property and her purse is inside, um, but she's nowhere to be found. Um, so he starts looking around and he notices that the door to the house is wide open. So he goes inside. He, he went inside the proper, uh, the house to see if she was in there. And he went through all of the rooms twice, calling her name. She wasn't there. Um, so he calls the police. And initially, like when Detective Allison got on the scene, uh, he was suspicious of Carl. Because he had gone into the house. He con- mm-hmm. he contaminated the crime scene. Right, um, of course. Right. But I, that's but your wife. You're looking for, like, right. But if, if I were looking for somebody and the house is open and I, I knew this was their last known 
location. I would have probably done the same I thing. I would have walked through it also. I, yeah, I can't say I wouldn't, but with that said, from a cop's point of view, you shut, you know, it's a thing of like. He was yeah, apprehensive in the, in the sense that if something happened here and we have to look for clues, his DNA, DNA fingerprints are going to be all over everything. And if he didn't do it, well, that's now, what makes the job harder. Exactly. And, and I get that. I completely understand both sides yeah. of that argument. <laughs> um, but that being said, initially, Carl was on his right. radar. And they always are. As a husband, yeah, of like, course. that's your first step. You always, look at, you always look at the spouse first. Exactly. Your first step. We'll learn, like, I'll, I'll explain that the more he digs into the case, um, there are more reasons that he was suspicious of Carl. It wasn't just um, his initial contamination right. of what could potentially be a crime scene. Right. Um, and as he investigated the scene, he noticed tire impressions on the ground outside the front door. Um, he suspected someone had either pulled their vehicle up to the front door of the house. Um, hmm. That'd be odd. Right. Or, or like backed up to it. Right. Um, and so him and his officers are conducting the investigation and talking to one of the neighbors. They admit to having, having seen a small black car in the driveway that evening. Um, they told the officer was taking their statement that when they looked out of their window a little bit later, they saw a slender white man with short, dark hair who had gotten out of the car after he backed it up to the front door. So that's where those tire impressions came from. And Detective Allison had confirmed that someone actually backed up to the front door. Right. Um, but unfortunately, the neighbor didn't get a license plate because uh, nothing really seemed out of the ordinary at that point. They knew that their neighbor was selling the house. They knew that the realtor was in and out of the location. There were a lot of unknown and unusual vehicles that they had never seen before um, right. at that property. <clears throat> so while the police are conducting their investigation um, throughout the neighborhood, Carl receives a text message from Beverly. Sound right? <clears throat> yeah, like everybody's there at this house and everybody's freaking out and all of a sudden he gets a text message. Uh, it said, because he was texting her, like, are you okay? Where are you? Like, right. trying to call her before he left to the house. So right. she responds, yes, was the first text in response to, are you okay? She says, yes. And then a second text message came through that said, sorry, phone been dead. And then a third text message that said, having drinks right now. Carl immediately felt like a moment of relief. But as they started coming through, it disappeared. Yeah. Because all of your friends and family are here looking for you. Who are you having drinks with? And that's even what one of her friends who was at the property that night had said. Everybody's here and accounted for. And she's not a drinker. She did not go just go out and drink for the hell of it on a Thursday night, especially. It just didn't make sense. Everybody said, no, this is weird. Like a big red flag at that point. Right. Um, and then the second point being, as a realtor, Beverly would have never let her phone die. Like, she was very diligent about keeping it charged and keep keeping it with her at all times. Because that's her lifeline. 
Exactly. That's her income. Yeah. Exactly. That's her business. Exactly. So the fact that the excuse was, oh, my phone died. No, it didn't. They knew that that wasn't the case. And they knew that she wasn't out drinking with anybody. So they said, no, this is wrong. I couldn't imagine being on that roller coaster of just, I'm worried, I'm calm, I'm fearful, all in a matter of minutes. Yeah, exactly. So her husband gets this text message from her saying, hey, look, I'm okay. Uh, My phone died. I'm out having drinks. And immediately they're like, what? No. Like I said, her friends and family had congregated on the property in Scott at this point. Her husband, her son, her daughter-in-laws, all of her friends, her co-workers from the office, a lot of people are in the driveway of the house. Right. Talking to police officers, talking with the neighbors. Um, And so when Carl got this text message, one of her co-workers and her best friend, Brenda Rhodes, she quickly takes action. She grabs her phone and she texts Beverly because Beverly is texting Carl. So whoever has her phone is ma- is communicating. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she texts Beverly asking if she had left the red folder on her desk. Now, with the realtors, they have a code word, a safe, a safe word. Um, if they ever find themselves in a situation or dangerous circumstance, they will text one of their coworkers about a red folder. So red folder being the code word. Right. Um, so Brenda knew immediately, like she, she had the wherewithal to know that if she had texted Beverly about the red folder, she would immediately know what she meant and understand right. she's implying and ha- would have responded back. If they were Beverly, Correctly, she- right. Appropriately, like, hey, don't worry. Like, I'm fine. Yes, everything's fine. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, she would have answered appropriately. Exactly. But according to knowing that this red folder means you're in danger, she would have answered appropriately. It wouldn't have been just a one-word thing. Because or- Beverly would have understood the urgency. Right. Like, people are freaking out. Like, knowing that Carl's texting me and I just text him back about drinks and whatever. A lot of people are worried about me at this point. Text back. Yeah. If it had just been her asking something random about work, she, she might've blown her off because she's out with friends. But if the text, the the contents of the text red folder, she knew. Okay. This is serious. People are freaking out. Just to ease her mind, if nothing else, she never got a response. It, it went on the answer. No? No. I would assume that, I'd assume whoever had their phone would have just made a short answer of like, yeah, I left it on my desk. Put yourself in the shoes of, of a kidnap. You have a hostage and their phone is blowing up with people trying to find them. You text the husband, hoping that this will ease people's mind. If I was a kidnapper and I kidnapped someone and then I text her husband and, and thinking, okay, this is gonna settle all doubts. And then I get a second text message from someone else. I'm going to assume it's someone close enough to her to be worried enough to text her. Okay. So they're probably close. I would text them back. No, because all it is is a coworker saying, Hey, did you leave that red folder on my desk? Right. But I have social anxieties anyways. 
Sometimes texting me, even if they are close, even if it's my, like, my dad's texting me, sometimes I just ignore it. So, like, no, because here's the thing. If I kidnap someone and then I text their husband, let's say it has been already an hour. Granted, their husband, they're going to know their their wife is missing. So I got to go as a kidnapper. I got to say, okay, they probably know their wife is missing right now. And yeah. I'm going to text them. Okay, but then I get another text message. Well, who did the husband tell? He had to have called people asking where she's at. Well, no, because again, this is just a coworker asking, did you leave the red folder on my desk? That sounds... Yeah, but if, if that husband had already asked that coworker, like, oh, she works with y'all. Have y'all seen her? Like, I would I would cover all bases. I would text everybody back and be like, she is fine. We'll, we'll get into it. Like, obviously, I'll make it very clear just how dumb he is. But, um, okay, so. No, he doesn't text back. Right. No response. Um, Detective Allison uses this opportunity because Beverly's phone is active. She's sending text messages to Carl. Her right. Husband. And they're going to They that's exactly what they did. So they <laughs> knowing that the phone is on, um he starts tracing Beverly's phone's location using pings. So um he actually like follows the location several miles outside of Little Rock until the pings stop sending. So the phone was turned off or right yeah um he continued driving around that area hoping to find clues and waiting <coughs> to see if the phone would be turned back on but it never was um so i will give it to the the officers on this case they did a lot of really good police work um, yeah yes they really did they took it very seriously they did take it incredibly seriously, not to mention, but I also think that it was because of the fact that it's who she was. She was well known across the state of Arkansas. She had like billboards, every billboards, like, right. like she was the severity of like her, um, I'd almost her say status. celebrity status, local fame, local fame. Yeah, exactly. Um, she had commercials. She was on benches. It is because of her status that she was taken so seriously and they picked up this case and did all the right things so quickly because if you have a homeless man and his family says yeah he sits on this certain bench all the time and all of a sudden he's not they're probably gonna say oh he just moved or oh he you know he'll be back they probably would not have acted so quickly as they did with Beverly's case well obviously and that's what I'm saying her status within the community was definitely uh, a driving force behind right. the diligency. I would like to say that the local police off, like police force do this. <laughs> would have taken all of the, like they take all of their cases seriously. I don't know. This is the first one that I've ever dived into. Well, so, you also got to think Arkansas is one of, well, I know Arkansas is the most dangerous city in in Arkansas Little and yeah. Little Rock is the most dangerous in Arkansas but also it's also one of the top ones that are most dangerous in the United States so you gotta they imagine they're having, you gotta yeah. imagine they're having a lot of cases so if they do drop the ball on one other case I uh, would hope that would never happen but understandably they do have a lot of cases coming through it's, so it's fair uh, yeah overall I think I think they do pretty good so detective Allison goes driving around the phone does not come back on 
Um, so what he does is next the next morning, at about 10 in the morning, um, he calls her best friend, Brenda Rose, the one who sent the um, right. text to her that went unanswered. So Brenda and Stacy Russell, who is another friend of hers and mm-hmm. co-worker, I believe. Um, he calls both of them down to the station and his hope is to shed some light on um, the notebook that he found in her car. Because remember when her husband got to the property, her car was still there. She had some of her belongings right. were still in her car, her purse and things like that. Um, there was a notebook. So in the notebook, she she had notes of her clients, potential clients, any um, appointments that she had. Right. She had things coded in there. And so the detectives wanted to see if her friends and coworkers can shed some light on what, if anything, there was to go on in the notebook. Um, and, and quite quickly, they, they flipped through it and... Knowing how adamant she was about getting information from her client, right. um, they found the address of the property in Scott with a phone number and an email for Steve Adams two zero one five at gmail dot com. Um, Detective Allison immediately got his tech team on the case, um, and they chased down the information from Beverly's notebook, hoping to find some kind of link with either the phone number or the email address. Um, So that's when we introduce Detective Drew Evans. He was a criminal investigator for the major crimes unit at Pulaski County Sheriff's Office at the time. Um, He was tasked with following the digital footprint of the phone number given to Beverly. So that phone number in the notebook, um, they went tracking. And after some very thorough digging, he determined that it was a spoof number. It was generated uh, by an app. And Detective Allison uh, immediately sent subpoenas on the number to get search warrants, to get registration information from it. Um, But unfortunately, those kind of orders, they can take days to come back. So he he jumped on it. He, He got on it fairly quickly. And uh, in hopes that the sooner he got them in, the sooner they would get um, those warrants back so that they can follow that lead further. Um, And while they were waiting for the subpoenas to come back, um, the detectives on the case started looking more into Beverly's personal life to see if there were any indications as to what happened to her, where where she was. and what they found was motive, unfortunately. Beverly had this very high profile job. She had yes. the words and she had an image to uphold. She was, unfortunately, she was struggling to keep up that image of wealth required for her line of work. Um, she had had cosmetic surgeries. She had expensive clothes. She had, she had a very nice car. Um, again, her face were on billboards all over the state. So despite being Crylike's top realtor, she hadn't sold a house in quite a while. So her and her husband were broke. Um, hmm. And she, however, did have a life insurance policy of several hundred thousand dollars, which to the picturesque couple doesn't mean much. Right. 
but the further the more they realized that this was actually a really strong motive for Carl to to want of course to be dead. Um, so now they're questioning, like, was he involved in her disappearance? And they start honing in on him a little bit tighter and start asking him questions. And obviously they call him down to the station to ask those questions because as the spouse, right. that's what you're going to do in any case. If nothing else, to rule them out. Um, but you always talk to the spouse. We know this. So he calls Carl down. They initiate an interrogation, for lack of better words. Yeah. And it turns out that they were having, they had had some issues. As far as marital? Yes. Oh. Carl does admit there were issues. Did he cheat? Listen, let me get to it. You gotta wait. Sorry. Sorry. You gotta, Erica's over here jumping the gun. Everything. God. Damn. Right. Listen. What a bastard. Shut up, bitch. Listen. Usually she's not this smart. Um, so friends and neighbors reported that they had a volatile marriage. Um, one that went against Beverly's entire well-put-together image. Their son, Carl Carter Jr., uh, reported saying a lot of the strain on their marriage was because of their financial troubles. Carl Sr. worked in construction, so Beverly was the main provider. Yeah, Their main income source was on her to provide um it was also discovered during the interview that carl had a drinking problem at one point and um during a particularly heated argument carl hit his wife he admitted he yeah he um but he explained that shortly after that incident that he quit drinking and he said that it's the reason that he stopped drinking and by all accounts up until the point of her disappearance they were happy he was disgustingly in love with his wife and wouldn't have done anything to hurt her he loved her shortly after the interview with carl the subpoenas were awarded and detective evans was able to find the email that set up the app for the spoof number um, as well as the real number that was attached to it. And they got in in contact with the cell phone provider. And um, they found that the number was registered to a Crystal Lowry as well as the email. Hmm. So what? Can I just say, I... Going over this case, I'm very confused as what her part was in this. The person the phone came back to, who was it? Crystal Lowry. Bam, her. It's very murky what... I will clear that up for you. Back in the day, like, when this all happened, even then, they didn't really cover her part in it. I did have trouble clarifying when I first got into the research because of the news coverage did make it, you're right, very unapparent. Like what, why, how, why was she a part of it? Why is she, anyway, let, we'll get to that discussion later and I will clear that up for you. Okay. Um, so when the numbers and the email, when the, the number and the email came back to Crystal Lowry, um, they took that lead and they ran like hell. Um, I bet. Who, who is she? 
How is she tied to Beverly <laughs> Carter? What part does she have in all of this? Right. So the detectives on the case managed to find a uh, a local nursing student by the name Crystal Lowry. They are quoted to having said that she didn't have much of a criminal history, nothing that would lead them to believe she had anything to do with this. So they continued to look into Crystal and got a list of vehicle registrations like in her name, like vehicles that were registered to her. And there were three, uh, one of which being a small black car. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And on the registration along with Crystal was her husband, Aaron Lewis. <laughs> so now they're wondering, could this be the man that was seen? <laughs> backing up to the front door mm-hmm. of that Scott property. Was this the couple Beverly went to show the house to? Like, who are these people? Exactly. Uh, the detectives then switch gears and they start to focus on Aaron. They find that he has a criminal history that included property crime convictions where he was counterfeiting credit cards and driver's licenses all over the United States. He had quite an extensive history with arrests. So Detective Allison decided to send surveillance to Crystal and Aaron's house. The first thing that they notice when they pull up is a small black car sitting outside their home. At the time they got there, Aaron walks out of the house and he gets into the car. And he, he matched the description of the person that the neighbor in Scott had given of the person at that property. Um, so as Aaron gets into the car, he spots the detectives pulling up. Um, so they decide to proceed with caution and to follow him. Aaron's driving like immediately just became very erratic. Uh, they said that he reached speeds of like 85, 90 miles an hour. Of and course. at some point he went around a 90 degree turn and ended up hitting a covert and flipping his car completely. Oh my gosh. So the detectives, they see this as an opportunity to approach Aaron and and like interact with him um and as they pull up they he starts climbing out of the driver's side so they they decide not to let on to their suspicions of him um they call him an ambulance and while they're waiting for paramedics to arrive they ask him for his phone number and he gives the spoof number connected to beverly's disappearance and at that point they're like yeah he just confirmed their suspicions um but because of federal privacy laws um, and, and being Aaron is only a person of interest at this point, um, the, he is not officially under arrest in any capacity. The officer who was assigned to accompany Aaron to the hospital, he had to stay in the waiting room while the hospital staff performed their medical exam. And when the officer checked in, with the nurse to see if he could go ask Aaron a few questions. He was informed that the patient had already left the exam room and they didn't know where he was. Wow. Yeah. So he pulled the surveillance videos um, and he saw that he went to the bathroom, changed back into his clothes and walked right out the front door and then took off down the sidewalk. Like they see him like take off running. And um, how did he get past the officer with the off- without the officer even knowing? Like, well, I don't know that the hospital set up so that the specific waiting room that he was in was by the front door. 
Yeah. He was just in the general waiting room. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know the layout of the hospital, and he had to just literally most hospitals you walk. Well, like our hospital, you walk in, it's like a hallway. You have to walk in, and then the waiting room is like to the side. So if it was that kind of setup, there's no way he could. Well, I mean, even here, like there are a few. Like you could go into a hospital in one entrance, and there's another. Like everything connects. So if he just like gone a different route down a different hallway back out entrance, there's plenty of ways. It depends on the hospital. Yeah. So um, this this leads the detectives to be able to secure and execute an arrest warrant for Aaron Lewis because at this point he uh, is evading arrest. Um, right. So they return to Aaron's home and Crystal is there. Um, they ask a few questions and then go inside to search the home. And while searching the home, they find a cell phone on the bedroom dresser. They check the serial number and it is Beverly Carter's cell phone. This is the evidence police need to make the connection to Beverly's disappearance. They quickly take to the media and get help locating Aaron in order to bring him in for questioning. Um, Yeah. At this point, they're still unsure if she's still alive at this point and they're racing against the clock. Um, It's been like two days since she's gone missing. So it is vital to get Aaron into the station to get Beverly's whereabouts. Yeah. Because they're still hoping that she's alive. They don't yeah. know where or, or another. Um, so while at the house conducting the search, they asked Crystal how the phone got on their bedroom dresser. Uh, and she just, she told detectives that she didn't know where it came from. She explained that Aaron comes home with random tech devices all the time. And she mm-hmm. didn't think like, that's not a red flag for your husband just randomly come home with random cell phones and technology of any sorts, gaming systems. And I get the impression that with his his like criminal history, he was probably like he probably brought stuff home to turn around and like resell it. I can see how that would be a, have been a thing for her. Uh, the police weren't buying it. Um, yeah. So she's saying that she she just hadn't really thought much of it she didn't know where the phone came from um and they decided Uh, to continue their line of questioning at the station so they um they take her in they book her and they charged her with theft by receiving which is a misdemeanor right um and so upon further questioning she doesn't give the detectives anything about the phone or beverly or where her husband is um, the Pulaski County police were unfortunately forced to release her because, again, oh. they only had her on a misdemeanor. Um, yeah. Even though they got the feeling she wasn't being honest, she knew more than she was letting on. There was oh, Right. Um, so it's not until the next morning before the police get another break in the case. Um, a few witnesses at a local sandwich shop, they spot Aaron and called 911 reporting that he looked like the guy on the news and he seemed to be really nervous. So dispatch sent a unit, um, but Aaron decided to leave before they got there. And the bystanders who called 911 actually attempted to stop him. Um, and they, they kind of cornered him and they're like, we know who you are. The police are on their way. He booked it. He's like, fuck this. Nah. So he took off running. Right. Um, and officers arrived and immediately pursued him because they had gotten there like like right after he took off 
Mm-hmm. Um, they chased him into an apartment complex and they were actually, that's where they apprehended him and they took him into custody. So during their interrogation, Aaron immediately took control of the conversation and straight up told him, I've got her. If you want her back, you got to do, we're doing this my way. How ballsy, how ballsy yeah. to walk in there knowing you don't have her and just feel like this, I'm going to. But he knows that they don't know. They don't know anything. Um, and he, he explained that if the detectives wanted information and wanted to find Beverly alive, he wanted to work out a deal first. And Detective Evans uh, recalls, he's like, I have never been in an interview like this before. It was it was definitely a first for him because. But also, you walk in, you're like, I got her. You want her. Then you got to do it my way. Okay, so they go and they make this deal say they do and then they find out that he don't got her you don't think they're gonna take that deal off the table well let's see what happens so aaron told them he knew he was going to prison so he wanted to make sure that he was going to federal prison instead of state prison um and this told detectives that this wasn't his first rodeo he understood the difference between state and federal um federal being a lot more cushy he's like the deal is i don't do time in state and they're like, what the shit? The detectives wanted to make sure that he could prove he had Beverly. So he told them, go get my phone. And they're like, what? And he's like, I, if you want proof, I've got proof. It's on my phone, go get it. And typically when you bring someone in and you take their stuff and like you catalog it or whatever, you, you they don't get it back. I didn't take right. it. Uh, the cops want to go get it. They're like, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean... Why not? If he says he has her, we need proof. It's there. And at this point, they are racing against the clock. They want. Oh yeah. It, it. At this point, I think it had been like a week. No, it's only been two days. This may be the third. They caught him on day three. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um. So uh, once he has his phone, he plays an audio file Beverly recorded for Carl. And it said, Carl, it's Beverly. I just want to let you know I'm okay. I haven't been hurt. Do what they say and please don't call the police. If you call the police, it could be bad. I just want you to know I love you very much. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron tells them, uh, the detectives, that if they don't follow his requests, she will run out of time and die. And they're like, okay, she is alive. You are confirmed. Like, Like this... Line of questioning has led us to believe <laughs> that she's still alive. Yeah, but I'm such a skeptical. I'd be like, no, nah, you gotta like call her now. Like this doesn't mean a recording. Like you could have recorded this before. Well, yes, obviously, but this is all that they had, and they it it showed that at one point during his plan, he had her record this audio. It's pre-recorded. Yeah, right. but it is pre-recorded, but it is right. that they need that he has her. Right. He has yeah. her. Yeah. And if it was lie, just but... to kill her, he wouldn't have recorded that audio as proof of anything. Right. So so they follow it. Okay. You have proof that you have her or had her at some point. So yeah, way this turns out, you know where she is. Yeah. So there, that's that's essentially what they wanted. Um, this is the guy to talk to. So um, 
Aaron was was adamant that Crystal had nothing to do with the kidnapping of Beverly. He explained that he did have help, but it was from a friend of his named Trevor. And they're like, who the fuck is Trevor? And he explained that he abducted Beverly um, because he had seen her billboard and knows that she makes millions. And he figured someone would pay good money to get her back. Um, he said he was responsible for kidnapping Beverly and taking her to an old storage unit while Trevor's job was to stay with her and keep, keep an eye on her. The detectives take Aaron to show them where he last saw Beverly. And they said, okay, so you took her, take us to her. And he was like, bet. So the detectives take Aaron to show them where he last saw Beverly. He mentioned to them that if she wasn't there, uh, Trevor must have done something with her. And so the cops were like, what? And it just seemed really off. Yeah, and off, a bit off the wall to just bring that up while, right? Be like, oh, by the way, if she's not there, Trevor did something. Trevor did it. Right. Yeah, like, hmm. And they're like, okay. okay um, yeah. And so when they get to the, the unit, not only is Beverly not there, but there's literally no evidence that she had ever been there. And while Detective Allison is with Aaron, the rest of the team start following up on the, the Trevor lead. Who is this Trevor? What, right. what part in this does he have? Um, so the team back at the office, they start digging into that. And Aaron told detectives that there's... Oh, there's a second location um, that Trevor could have taken Beverly. So they go about 40 minutes away to a mobile home. Wild goose chase. Basically, yeah. He's just buying time, uh, flaunting power, I suppose. I'm not sure what his train of thought was. Yeah, I don't know what the tactic is to this. I think it really genuinely was just to fuck with him. Just Just to be a dick, dude. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, because what's he gaining? Everything comes with a gain, and everything you do with people like this, I feel like everything they do, it's all about what do I get out of this? And yeah. if he's putting them on the wild goose chase. I think it was a power trip. I think it was a power yeah. trip. Uh, they go, like I said, it was about 40 minutes, and they go to a mobile home. Um, and again, it was very clear that she had never been there either. And at this point, Detective Allison is so frustrated with his antics. He gets a call from the station explaining that they found Trevor. Um, he had been in Oklahoma and he wasn't even in the state at the time of the abduction. And he explained to the de- to the detectives that he knew of Aaron, but they hadn't spoken in months. And yeah. so Detective Allison is pissed and he had to have someone else drive his car with Aaron because he he couldn't stand to look at him. He had to take another vehicle. So I I I don't think I am the kind of person who would be able to contain myself. There would be blows thrown. He said I wanted to punch him in his face. He's like I wanted to deck him, and I was like oh, <laughs> right in the dick hole. Like Dude. oh, I don't think I would be able to contain myself. I think I'm sorry. I would have I'm to- sorry. He didn't say he wanted to punch him. He said he wanted to strangle him until his eyes pop. That's what he said. <laughs> That's very much, I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing as far as making someone else drive him. 
I don't think I can do it. Piece of shit. Because when we get to the end of it, you just realize that like no, you just... know, you know he knows, right? Yeah. And he, there's nothing. There's we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. All in the time. Yeah. Okay. So um. So the uh, detective Allison, he created a list of all of Aaron's known residences, his addresses um, of associates and previous employers. And with this information in hand, he asked Aaron if it was at Argos. And that is a concrete manufacturing company located in Cabot that Aaron used to work at, um, but he was fired. And detective Allison said that when he asked him about Argos, it was the biggest reaction he had gotten from him in the hours they had spent together. Uh, he knew at that point he was onto something. And he, uh, he sent out units to conduct a search of the property in hopes of finding Beverly alive. And that's just, just good police work, being able to read yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so in the middle of the night, um, a bunch of units went out to this property and they're, they start searching with like flashlights and stuff for any sign of Beverly and the, where the property sits, there's a tree line behind it and near the tree line on the outskirts of the property, one of the officers spotted an elbow sticking out of the ground. So they begin the gruesome recovery of Beverly Carter's body. Um, they were able to identify her based on the shoes that she was wearing the night she went missing. And as they start to uncover her body from the shallow grave, they see a vibrant color of lime green up by her head area. And as they continue to remove the dirt and debris, they realize the vibrant color is duct tape wrapped around her head. He had suffocated her and then buried her in a sad excuse of a grave. Wow. Um, that night, he was charged with murder and kidnapping. And when asked by reporters outside the courthouse, why Beverly? He responded, because she worked alone. She was a rich broker. And that was it. And then he got in. Uh, yeah. Please. I, I, it is so senseless. I have a feeling that when he went and abducted her, his plan was to keep her for ransom and something went wrong. Because otherwise, why did you do this? Exactly. Well, why? you are exactly right. And I'm about to explain what happened. So through cell phone records, they were actually able to link Crystal to the murder of Beverly as well. This is when we get into it. Go figure. Yeah. So they they do. They offer her a deal in exchange for her testimony against her husband. Um, And she accepts. We'll get into it. Anyway, um, here's the thing. It makes me sick. Even to hear you just say that she's involved, like I knew she was involved. But to hear it makes me so sick because I don't know if um, it was mentioned, but she actually had children. So you went and committed this crime with your husband, a gruesome crime, uh, unspeakable, disgusting crime, not even thinking about the repercussions that could happen. Your child now has no parents. Like you have children. Yeah. 
And I think the the longer we go in our hobby, mm-hmm. we're gonna come across quite a few cases where not only are the crimes senseless um, and the perpetrators aren't thinking of their children, but eventually I'm sure there will be cases that we cover in which the children were actually the victims and that's even worse. Just so vile. Yeah. I'm so not, because uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I I don't know if I I feel like I understand. I don't know if I'll be able to handle that. I'm not saying I want to do them. Right. But if there are any cases out there that are intriguing deserve enough. the spotlight, <clears throat> yeah. It's the child victims. Mm. Not that any of these other cases are less right. heinous or I completely agree. Um, but there's just something about taking an innocent child's life that's just a different level of depravity. Yeah. It'd have to depend on the age. I, if they're like, like, like young, I'm not sure I can do it. So they offer a plea deal. So yes, they, they offer Crystal Lowry a deal in exchange for her testimony. Um, she told the court that they wanted money and devised a plan to kidnap a wealthy person and demand their husband pay a ransom. That was their motive. We wanted money. Yep. We just didn't want to work for it. They're like, oh, we wanted money, so we we just decided to kidnap a rich person and and just extract it from him. Oh, that makes me so angry. Um, Aaron looked at potential victims and narrowed his search to real estate agents. And she explained that Aaron chose real estate agents based on their financial wealth. Um, she testified that they wanted to target someone who would have access to a hundred thousand dollars and they picked Beverly because they believe she met the requirements. Um, and again, she worked alone. She explained that they called Beverly and identified themselves as Crystal and Steve Adams and plan, uh, the plan was for Aaron to kidnap Beverly and keep her in an abandoned office building at Argos while they made ransom demands. But the plan quickly fell apart when they discovered that changes had been made to the concrete plant, which would have made it impossible to hold Beverly there alive until the ransom was paid. I don't know what the changes were. I don't, I'm not sure on what the conditions of the um, empty office was that right. she couldn't stay alive. I don't know, but their initial plan, um, went to shit. And so, um, she told the courts that they met Beverly at the house, Aaron posing as Steve Adams and that Aaron stayed and she left for work. Um, Aaron later texted her a picture of Beverly bound with green tape in the trunk of his car because his report says that he met her at the house and she was showing him the property and he pulled out a taser and said, you're about to have a very bad day. And then taped her hands behind her back and left her 
in the house and went get the car. That's when he backed the car up to the front door and then put her in the trunk where he taped her mouth and her feet together. And that's, that's when he took the picture and sent it to his wife. But he, after he took her was when he realized they couldn't take her to Argos. And, um, he didn't feel secure leaving her in the trunk. So he decided to bring her back to their house in Jacksonville. Um, and Crystal claimed to have asked Aaron, where are you going to take her? Because I don't want her at the house. And she stated that because there was nowhere else to take her, and Aaron had been driving around for a while, uh, but he started getting nervous and worried that he was going to get pulled over by police, that that's when he took her back to the house. Um, and he took her from the trunk and locked her in their bathroom. And so Crystal gets home and she's pissed and she's like freaking out. And she's, her biggest thing was that I have prescription bottles in the bathroom with my name on them, with your name on them. Like, she can identify us. She saw your face. Yeah, but she's bound. She's taped. What is she going to, how is she going to get medicine bottles and see names if you have her thrown in your bathroom? Well, yeah, but if she's just sitting on the bathroom floor and there's a bottle of pills on the counter, because their whole point is to ask for ransom. Right. So but if they release her back to her family, she has names and seen his face. Right. But how is she going to get what I'm saying is, okay, so she's on the bathroom floor and the medicine is on the counter. If she is taped up, even if she grabbed that medicine bottle, how is she going to see that name? Her face is not taped, just her mouth. Oh. It okay. wasn't. They found her in the shallow grave with her head taped. But at right. this point, oh, in, in the, like, yeah, in the timeline, right. it's just her mouth is taped. <clears throat> no, they're fucked. That's what. That's what his wife said. So she is left to guard the bathroom and she has a stun gun. And that's when Aaron, um, he had Beverly's pin number for her debit card. So he's like, great, I'm going to go get your purse. So he went back to the house in Scott to get her purse and all of the things that she had left in her car. And that's when he saw that police had already arrived on the scene. Um, so that fucking gets me, dude, her friends, her family, they're at this house in this driveway with a bunch of police and he drives past them. They're like right there. Yeah. When you think about it from like the husband's point of view, have like standing right there and the guy who took his wife just drives by that like gives me chills. I can't. Yeah. But also like. She was still alive at that point. Yes. God. Yeah. Hey, people. Yeah. Um, so when he got home, that's when he had uh, forced Beverly to record the 12-second message to Carl, asking him um, to cooperate or it could be bad. Um, but we know now that he didn't hear that message until after she had been found. It, it wasn't played until he was in the interrogation room. So he recorded yeah. the message, but nobody got it. It wasn't until after he had already murdered her that he even played it for anybody. And he played it for the cops. 
Um, so after they got the recording, um, Crystal and Aaron decided to just get rid of Beverly instead of pushing the ransom angle because, like I said, she was inside their home. Um, police were already looking for her and she had to die because she had seen Aaron's face. And like I said, they were worried that she may have seen the prescription bottles. Here's what I don't understand. In every single case, every single case under the sun, I don't understand this and I will never understand it. You're in a bad situation. And your first thought is, if I get rid of this person, then the whole situation goes away. Like, you don't stop and think and go, okay, everyone gets caught. I'm going to go to jail for taking someone's life away. Stupid criminals. They're dumb. Every single time. Like, I'm in this bad situation. If I just if I just let her go, uh, yes, I'll go to jail. But it it might not be for that bad. It'll stop for the madness before it gets worse. Yeah, no, they don't. Yeah. No, they're like, let me just take their life, take them away from their family, take them away from their kids, just end it, and then I will be okay? Is that really how you, yeah, like, is that really how you thought this was going to Because they all think that they're smarter than the police. And it's like, this is literally a team of people, and you are just one. Who are, like, trained. Well, I mean, even if it's just, like, a mediocre crime force, it's still a, a team of mine working together they're going to find out what happened they're going to figure out it was you god okay so so they decide to they decide that this is the best course of action um that's when they wrap her head in duct tape and they literally just left her to suffocate um the next morning they purchased a shovel and buried beverly's body in the shallow grave at Argos. Are you ready to get pissed? I, I'm already there. No, so are you ready to like get pissed? I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Buckle up. Okay. So that was the prosecution's side. They had Crystal's story. Right. Okay. Yeah. You want to know what the defense argued? She wanted it. And that's the, the defense argued it was an accidental death that occurred during a sexual trifling no. wrong. It wasn't. Uh-huh. What? Yes. She was a classy lady. There is no way she'd even be caught in something like that. So Aaron's attorney actually claimed that she was never taken and had actually been a willing participant in a sexual relationship with both Crystal and Aaron. A high, like, standing realtor, multi you know. Oh, God, this, this guy's, he, he's a piece of work. So his attorney argued that Aaron wasn't even home when Beverly passed away. He claimed that she died during a consensual sexual act with Crystal. And they told the jury that Beverly was going through a midlife crisis and had a secret life that her husband was not aware of. Um, She was having marital and financial problems 
and the defense questioned Carl in relation to that. They had to bring him on the stand and question him because of the claims that the defense was making. Like, was presenting. yeah, this case, their side of it. So wow. on the stand, Carl admitted that there had been problems in the past. Um, it's at this point that he actually admitted that he had cheated on Beverly shortly after they were married. Um, but again, that was many years ago. And well, you got to think, they're 39, 39, 35 years into this marriage. Like, we all do stupid things. Uh, they had been married for 35 years. Yeah. That, what? You're bringing up young things, like when they still young and stupid. Well, and again, he attributed a lot of that to his drinking. That was before he quit drinking. Um, yeah. But he's, he was adamant that their married life was a good one and they were in a very good place when Beverly had died. Um, so then Aaron actually testified at his trial and <laughs> he got up there. So he explained to the court that his deep distrust in the judicial system and his troubled past had led him to lie about being involved in Beverly's kidnapping because he was trying to protect his wife because Beverly oh. died during a sexual encounter with Crystal. Obviously. Oh my gosh. That's How really romantic. He is. <laughs> what a Romeo. Well, he's the hero in this case. My realtor mistress Thruple was at home with my wife and she died. And so I covered for my wife and, and made up this whole ransom Bullshit. He claimed that they did not force Beverly to record a ransom message for Carl, that he used a software program to mimic her voice. Oh. When asked about the software, he couldn't remember. They're like, well, what'd you oh. use? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was just like, oh, uh, I don't remember. And they're like. Yeah, because there's so many of them. Well, they, I mean, they asked, like, what did you do how did this work what was the name of it i don't know i don't know couldn't tell you and they're like okay buddy yeah what a fucking joke um so the jury the jury deliberated for about an hour uh before coming back with a guilty verdict for kidnapping and capital murder uh at the sentencing hearing oh. Beverly's son told the court that his family had been brutalized by the claims Aaron made about his mother during the trial. Um, they were further saddened and hurt by the accusations made by the defense that Beverly wasn't happily married. He told the court that his parents had a great relationship and they were very happy and that Beverly had a lot to live for. Her family released this statement. We are devastated at the loss of our pre precious Beverly. There's now a hole in our hearts that will never be filled. Mr. Lewis robbed us of an amazing wife, a loving mother and grandmother. Her grandkids will never get to know the magnitude of her greatness. So Aaron was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Crystal received 30 years due to her deal. Ugh. And in 2014, she wrote to Governor Hutchins, 
Mind you, the kidnapping happened September 24th of 2014. All of this went down very quickly. Mm -hmm. Court case, everything. And this letter to Governor Hutchinson within the same year. Are you kidding? Listen to what she writes and asks. Oh my, I don't even want to. I want to fight this chick. Listen. So she writes to the governor and asks for her 30-year sentence to be cut in half on the basis that she found God and had taken part in multiple rehabilitation programs. So in her letter, Crystal stated that she was ready to pay her debt to society outside. And it's like, bitch, you're kind of paying your debt to society already. That's what you're doing in prison. Hold on. I took a loving mother and a wife and this relationship. Grandmother. A grandmother. And this marriage that you rarely find, this just absolute rock solid marriage where you're just truly in love. And I just ruined that. But, but I have found Jesus. And Jesus told me that, you know, he forgives me a little bit and that, you know, everyone sins. So I think it's just best if I get out because I'm ready. I'm ready to pay for what I did. Just, I just don't want it to be on your terms. Mind you, know, you, you could have only been in prison for a few months. I, I don't think. The crime happened think, in September. I don't think that. I really want to be in jail anymore. So if you could just knock that out of the way for me and let me go about my day. Then, boy, I want to fight her. Let's throw hands because I'm, <laughs> I'm about to shake you. What? Listen, let me finish this letter. She says, we all learn from our mistakes, but our mistakes are not who we are. I am willing to do anything I need to do to show I'm rehabilitated and I am no, or I am not a danger to anyone so yeah. i'm willing to do anything except what i need to do i'll do anything look i'm all about rehabilitation i think yeah me too but when you take a life and you already have a deal they already have given they already you did. that's your deal that is your deal. And now you have the, uh, if I was her family, I would be so outraged. You already have a deal. You took someone's life away. Their soul, you have taken out of their body. Like, you've taken it. So her clemency petition was denied uh, by the parole board in July of 2020. So. <laughs> I hope she rots. I hope when she gets out, she is so old that she farts and dust comes out like I hope, <laughs> I hope this woman I hope that uh, lube does not do nothing for her and it is all just broken down okay I hope she just forever is miserable <laughs> anyway I hope she stubs her pinky toe every day I hope she steps her stubs her pinky toe. I hope she steps on Legos. I hope she has a UTI every day of her life so bad that no, it like you can't have Legos. That's a that's a delicacy. She's not allowed Legos. I hope the worst for her. We the audacity. The audacity. The audacity. <laughs> All right. So I guess this is where we wrap it up. That's the end of it. Yeah. Well, that was a, a doozy of a case. I'm sorry that it uh, elicited such a strong response.
May her and her shit ass husband. I hope he his dick falls off. Jeez. All right. Well, on that note, uh, that is all for us today. (laughs) We just wanted to thank you all for listening. We encourage you all to reach out and tell us what you think. Um, You can reach us on Twitter at Casket Case Pod. We also have an Instagram at CasketCase.podcast. Or even if you want, you can write to us um, at podcast.casketcase at gmail.com. We cannot wait to hear from you. Uh, We want to know what you guys have to say and even get recommendations on cases that you find fascinating. Um, Ones that are unheard of. Yeah, there's a lot of really intense and very fascinating cases out there that a lot of people haven't even heard of. So if you have one in your pocket you want us to cover or um, just do a deep dive on for our own well-being, let us know. Send it to us. Um, We love all of you weirdos, so please be safe out there, and we'll see you at the grave.